0: The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407 790 9957 or visit wesellorlando.net. What's up, night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you, Eric. I'm here to tell you that uh, I am expecting in my next contract at least twenty mil a year, even though I'm a diva.
1: Wow! <laughs> well, good, good luck with that.
0: Uh, I'm sure.
1: Is that your big announcement there?
0: <laughs> I'm just putting it That's out there, pretty- you know, because listen, I need to. I'm, it's it's a starting negotiating position from my agent. Okay, and we'll just work back from there. Even though I even though I was on the shelf for much of last year. <laughs> Wow, God. you might can, want to let the audience know you were <laughs> twenty. I, can you believe? I, I mean, I, all right. I know this is a UCF, you know, podcast, but like twenty million dollars a year for a wide receiver like Odell Beckham? Are you kidding me? Anyway, I, for those I just,
1: that don't know, the New York Giants have uh, signed a new deal with Odell Beckham no, Junior. They haven't. Is, they
0: haven't signed the deal. They haven't signed the deal. He is. Um, he is. It's like his. He's. He wants. He's targeting a salary in the twenty million dollar a year range. Good luck with that. Okay. Um, I mean,
1: Jarvis Landry, his buddy, is going to get probably he's getting, I think, 18. So, I mean, get out of here with that. 18. So it is what it is, yeah, bro. Is a, that? A, the
0: big announcements here. You know, what a, big what announcements a have been going
1: on here recently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've got. Well, here's the thing: we are so busy, we are so stacked with this show that we don't have any announcements to make now. Well, we'll be talking about a couple okay. of announcements. We're going to start with men's basketball. We'll be talking some women's hoops as well. We've got lots of uh interviews coming up in this uh show, in particular, Eric Lopez. A little bit later we will have uh John Roddick, the director of tennis uh for UCF, uh on as well. And uh we'll also but but before that we'll be getting into some uh college basketball uh a little bit, Eric. And I know you've done a pretty good job with your uh, bracketology on the site, but you actually got a legit bracketologist coming on with us. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I got uh, Charlie Cream, uh, ESPN women's basketball bracketologist, will come on and uh, talk to me and talk to us about where does UCF women's basketball stand as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned. What do they have to do at the upcoming American Women's Basketball Championships? Uh, You know that that's going to be fascinating because in his recent, uh, his most recent, of course, the bracketology he's got UCF as one of the last four teams out. So they're in the mix after not being mentioned. I may or may not take the credit for UCF. (laughs) I did write on black and go banner dot com last week about what they have to do to maybe get a shot in the tournament. And guess what? They have a shot. So I'm looking forward to talking to Charlie about what UCF has to do to get into the tournament and what they may have to root
0: against. Yeah. So we're going to be taking a keeping an eye on that. Uh, So as we head towards the American Athletic Conference uh, tournament next week for the women. So. All right. Um, let's dive on in, uh, but, oh, by the way, don't forget to, uh, hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com, slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Also, follow Brian Murphy at Spokes underscore Murphy to talk, uh, UCF, uh, baseball as well. We got a lot of stuff going on the this show. We're going to try and fly right through it. Let's start with men's basketball. Um... They have a huge game. We're recording this Wednesday, February 28th. They have a huge game Thursday, March the 1st, uh, 7 p.m. against number 11, Wichita State. Um, this is the third highest ranked team to come to UCF Arena in program history. Uh, and it could possibly Ooh, be a great stat. Yes. I got to thank Jimmy Skiles for that. He's the one. We're who who the, uh, the other highest two now. I'm Memphis, trying to think. you. Got him. Me Memphis okay. and Calipari, Memphis. Cincinnati earlier this year. Number 6. Very good. So, Very like that. Um right. so yeah, cheers to Jimmy Skiles for that for that reference. Here's the problem. UCF's lost two in a row. <laughs> uh they lost uh they lost on the road at Tulsa 70-61 and then got uh, smacked around by Temple 75-56 uh on Sunday. Um so, you know, no better time to get home than you know for these last two games to close out the uh regular season on Thursday, and then Sunday at 4.30 against Tulane, that's senior day, but uh, looking back at this Temple game, Knights were down 13 at the half, never really recovered. Um, Yeah, I'm looking back through, I mean, A.J. Davis, uh, 18 points on 5 of 11 from the field, but uh, B.J. Taylor really struggled, one of seven. Um, uh, Cesar de Jesus uh, pitched in with eight uh, in 26 minutes, but uh, there just really wasn't enough there as UCF in the first half shot 6 of 24 from the field. And then in the second half, they weren't that much better, 10 of 25. So 16 of 49 is not going to get it done, 33%. Meanwhile, Temple shot 50.9% for the game uh, uh, at 29 of 57. So um, I, I feel like the you know there was a moment there, Eric, where the they got a little bit of a jolt. You know when they were kind of faced with the with the daunting task of trying to you know make noise in this conference as underhanded as they were without taco without everything. But I think that this team, the lack of depth, is just based purely on the injuries that we've seen to Taco Chance McSpadden. And I I know I keep going back to Aubrey Dawkins, but he was expected to help this year. Um, the lack of depth is just coming back to hurt this team, especially on uh, especially on D. You give up you know fifty. 50-plus uh, 50, 50 percent for the game. I mean, that's trouble, any way you look at it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think yeah, it's come to them. Now, here's the positive. The good news is this team doesn't have to take another flight for the next couple of weeks. you got two home True. games here coming up. And then they obviously— Although they the keep up, they minutes, won't have
0: to take any more flights at all.
1: Well, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying the next couple of weeks— You know, normally in a conference championship tournament, you would have to travel somewhere. This team doesn't; they they don't have to worry about that. So the next two weeks, uh, you know that they they will be in town. So that's I think uh, that will help them a little bit. Um, And you know, quite frankly, now they have to win the conference tournament at the Amway Center and to to win the to get into the NCAA tournament. Otherwise uh now it becomes a battle of sneaking into the NIT or or C B I. So yeah. but you're right, the injuries have caught up with them, especially defensively. Teams have adjusted when you don't have Taco Fall on your defense. Teams are you know, they're there's they're more confident, I think. They're more confident to attack the basket. They're more confident in their offense. They they don't feel they have to alter their shots. It's 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 a rippling effect. So Uh, I tend to agree. The Tulsa loss obviously was a big backbreaker because that was for fourth place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they ran into a buzzsaw in Temple. I mean, that's a tough stretch going to fly into Tulsa. They had some traveling issues. I know that due to the weather in Tulsa. So as I understand, they got back real late. And then they got to go. We got to go up to Philadelphia. So it's uh, so hopefully they come out Wichita State. I like that stat. That's a big game. It'll be the first time the Shockers are in town. They're playing at their best. Wichita State's a big game for them because they're trying to set up the showdown with Cincinnati on Sunday for the American Conference regular season title. So mm-hmm. uh, They better be ready because Wichita has an explosive offense and UCF's going to have to come ready to play. Otherwise, it could be a long game if they're not prepared to play, but I think they will. I think the few days here and now being home, I, I'd like to think they'll be kind of prepared here, but uh, it they got to get some momentum here before the conference tournament, whether it be the Wichita State game Thursday or specifically the, Tol- the Tulane game on Sunday. You want to have some momentum yeah. going into that conference tournament.
0: Uh, Wichita is second in the conference at thirteen and three. Cincinnati still leading at fourteen and two. The Knights are eight and eight, uh, alone in sixth. Um, okay, not saying, not talking about the likelihood of this happening. All right, Let's, I'm just putting this one question out there, and then we'll move on to women's. Let's say UCF wins out; they win both games at home. Let's say they catch Wichita State, looking ahead to that Cincinnati game, like you were saying. They beat them, uh, beat the number eleven team in the country, and then they beat Tulane. Uh, that would put UCF at ten and eight, and nineteen and eleven. Any chance that they could get, in, in your opinion, that they could get into the NCAA without winning the conference outright? Would that, no, they're going to have to make a. Even Wichita State give them. No, because of the they're going to
1: have to make a deep run in the conference tournament. They're going to have to get to the semis, probably, or the final, uh, and then maybe they can get into the conversation. The problem is, is you know, not, not only the losses, but getting blown out at Temple. You've been blown out a few times here yeah. recently. That doesn't help your cause. And this is a very deep year from a bubble standpoint, where you have teams that that have quality wins and, and, and you know and but also have flaws. So there, that's it's tricky. I. Look, obviously, if you beat Wichita State, maybe you have some optimism. You could beat Tulane. Now you got some momentum. But uh, I, I think short of uh, they would have to get to the final, I think, to be in that, in that mix at that point, to be the fourth team in the conference. Plus, you're assuming there's no major upsets in other conference tournaments. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, I, that's why I wished – if they would have split the Tulsa-Temple games, I think we would have this conversation. I just – Not only the losses, but how they lost at Temple just leaves people with a bad taste in their mouth. And uh, the other problem is their big win against Alabama is not looking so great right now. Alabama got blown out by Florida right now. Yeah. Yeah. They may not even make the NCAA tournament. So that win doesn't look so great right now. So uh, a lot of things going on on the negative side there. So I'm not sure. The other question I have about this game, uh, this is the return of former UCF head coach Donnie Jones, who's the assistant in his first year. That's right. At Wichita State. Uh, hmm. Now I'm trying to help me out here. You have someone who has done PA at UCF basketball games, I know it's women's games, but it's the same concept as the men's games. Do they introduce the assistant coaches yes. in, in the intro? Ooh. Yes.
0: So, so you You're- say, you know, you say that, you know, after the starting five, you, you now see okay, the head coach of the uh, of the UCF Knights is Johnny Dawkins. Uh, he's assisted by. Um, And I want to get this right, you know, just pretend But he's assisted by Kevin Norris, Vince Taylor and Robbie Lang. And Mm -hmm. and so, you know, when you when Eric Kohler announces, you know, Wichita State, he's probably going to mention Donnie Jones possibly last. So and the uh, reaction will be uh,
1: you think there'll be a reaction?
0: I think it will be mixed, but mostly negative 60 40 negative. Which I don't think is fair. Um. Yeah. I, I. I. mean. I actually like Donnie. I interviewed him a few times. I thought he was a nice guy. I think that he got caught in some of the wash uh, from the from the um, the scandal that happened. The recruiting scandal that cost Keith Triple his job, uh, and Donnie got suspended for some of that. Um, so I, I. I. I think that. It, and, and then things just kind of got a little bit stale. I just think he got kind of got caught in in. Some things that obviously were his fault, but other things that weren't. Um, and it just didn't work out. So I hope it's not overly negative. I just think it will be.
1: I don't think it will be overly negative because I don't think they're going to dwell on it. I think they'll just kind of go through the coaches real quick, and it's before you know it, here we go. They're going to turn out the lights. I could be wrong on that. Um, I think it will be something that people may not even notice right, right away type of thing. You know what I mean? Like if he was the head coach, it would be different. But him being assistant, it
0: would be kind of – well, there's going to be some so I people don't expect who notice. To, <laughs> Maybe the students might not notice, but some of the well, other folks in the stands, they'll know.
1: Sure, right, 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 right. And that'll be the other interesting thing is what kind of crowd they draw for this game. I know they got T-shirts coming out, so hopefully they get a good crowd. You mentioned Wichita State. It's a nationally televised game, ESPN. Adam Amin will be calling the game yep. with John Thompson III. Um, so I don't know. Friday, I, I, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll be out there and uh, – uh, yeah, I think it'll be negative. The bottom line, I mean, forget the, what happened off the court with the sanctions. I mean, a lot of people do blame him for that, fairly or not. That's just the way it is because it was under his watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I ter- personally have no problem with him. I got along with him. So uh, – but I think the losing, in particular the ending, how it ended ugly, uh, I don't think will yeah. – uh, Serve him as a you know on a positive light.
0: I think you're right uh, for people, that. but I
1: will say this: there, I think there are people on the UCF side, obviously, and we saw this when they played at Wichita State. That obviously, like Donnie, there's some players there that were recruited by Donnie, so uh, that might. I think actually, I'm more interested in that kind of interaction, uh, either before the game yeah. or after the game. Type e. of stuff. EJ Taylor but, is uh, one yeah. of them, certainly. Um, short, short, yeah among others uh so you know it is what it is that's part of the storyline with donnie being in town uh it's interesting because in baseball we won't get that terry rooney is at uh, houston assistant but UCF goes to Houston. That's right. Houston does not come here, so we have to wait another year uh, for that little soap opera uh, drama there, if <laughs> you will, or storyline, if you will. We don't get that often in UCF sports when you think about it. It's not that it doesn't happen often from that standpoint. You know, Scott Frost ain't coming to UCF anytime soon with Nebraska or something like that, or uh, Brent Key. Know. You know, you, know, or, you never know, bull.
0: That would be a pretty nice little bowl uh, yeah, matchup yeah, one day, saying, don't you schedule. think?
1: When it, a game that's scheduled, that's anticipated, yeah, put it to that at this time, yeah. you know, it's not you know, it's scheduled. So, well, uh, do you think they'll draw? Well, you think they will draw?
0: Um, probably not as well as it should, because I think there's a perception right now that, um, that you know we're not competing for the regular season championship. That and unfairly, I think that there's a sense that the team's kind of playing out the string a little bit, which you know is not fair to this right. team because you know they could get to they could at least in theory get to 20 wins in the tur- you know with two wins here and then a win or two in the tournament or if they if they Yeah it's not a bad year. Day. It's not like you're the bad staff. It's not a bad year. It's just been a year of bad luck. It's just been bad Correct. luck. It's bad injury luck. Um you know I, I mean how many games that they played that have been uh, that they lost by a basket uh or or relatively close especially early in the year. I mean they had that 5 point right. loss at SMU. Uh, they lost by three to Mizzou. They lost by three to St. John's. They lost, um, you know, John. I mean, there's, it, you're, it, it's, it was a razor edge. But um, nonetheless, ESPN will be carrying this game uh, Thursday night at 7, um, but be there. And uh, Tulane, by the way, the Tulane games will be on ESPNU on Sunday, March the 4th at 4.30. So here's your last chance to see. UCF in the regular season with these last two games, hopefully they can get to 19 games out of 30 and stay above 500 in the conference before they head into the American Athletic Conference Tournament, which will start Thursday, March the 8th uh, at Amway Center with the first round. So um, in all likelihood, UCF obviously will be playing in that, on that first day. So um, that's what we'll be watching for, and we'll see how they shake out uh, at least at that point. All right, switch over to women's. Their regular season has come to a conclusion, and they finished the regular season winners of three in a row and nine of their last 11. Um, they won on senior night on Monday night uh, against ECU, 75-54, to uh, 54, to clinch a 20-win regular season, 20-9. and nine, Tied for the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Eric, tied for the best regular season uh, in, uh, is that right, in the Division One era? have to see what that is, but
1: uh, I believe so. Yeah, 84-85, yeah, right? 84, Twenty wins, something like that. Right. Yeah, wins. yeah.
0: So I'll mm-hmm. I'll double check that because I know it was on the Twitter account. But um, uh, first of all, cheers to Coach Abe for a job well done with this team. Cheers to the players for a job well done uh, as well. Um, uh, UCF is actually receiving votes in the USA Today uh, Top Twenty Five Coaches Poll. Um our fir- UCF's first season in Division 1 was 1984-85 in women's hoops. Um and they won 20 games. Uh this is the first time yep. that UCF has won 20 games uh in uh in the regular season since then. So, quite the an achievement. It's it, yeah, I thought we had some 20 win seasons back in the in the A sun days with coach Striegler. I know that um UCF was uh hanging right around there. I think they got to 20 wins in the tournament in the conference tournament, in the A Sun tournament. I think that's the difference. But uh Knights jumped all over ECU in the first quarter 24 to 9, pretty much never looked back. Uh they were up 44 to uh 24 at the break. Um let's see. We had uh oh, oh by the way, uh, uh Aaliyah Gregory still fighting her way back from some of the nagging injuries she had. Actually led the team in scoring. Uh, 6-7 from the field, 14 points. Four players in double figures. Uh, Masani Kaba uh, with 11 um, uh, to go with three boards. Uh, Z Saunders uh, with 10 and 7 boards. Uh, Eight assists for K.K. Wright to go with 10 points. Um, And it's just another workmanlike performance for uh, UCF. Even Delphine Robitaille got into the action. She scored a basket uh, in garbage time. uh, A three-pointer. Or excuse me. It was a uh, it was a two point basket, and she also hit a free throw. So, uh, she's been a, uh, a a team favorite. UCF shot sixty nine percent in the first half, uh, finished fifty two percent for the game, and held East Carolina to just twenty eight percent. So, um, so here is UCF women's basketball heading into the conference um, tournament. And uh, by the way, let's go ahead and take a look at that real quick because um you know as they, as it stands right now you're right Air, uh, the ucf finishes as the 3 seed u 29 and 016 and 0 obviously usf 24 and 613 and 3 boy that 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 last game at home that overtime game against usf just looms large doesn't it um because ucf could have finished with the number 2 seed which is not all that bad but um but at the end of the day eric i think you're right the it it kind of um it kind of doesn't matter <laughs> you know it um where where UCF sort of would have finished uh 2 or 3 you're still on the other side of the bracket from Yukon and the only thing that matters is you're you're playing you know which what color uniforms you wear in the 2 3 if you get that far uh,
1: well, Right. I mean, obviously, you, you would have liked to have had that USF win from a resume standpoint. And maybe if that's you have true. that if you have that win right now, maybe you're already in the tournament, maybe instead of one of the last four out. Right. We'll talk, I'll talk to Charlie Cream about that. But uh, the big thing is they beat Houston. The game at the East Carolina was whatever. But the Houston win on Saturday, which was big because that locked up the three seed. If they lose that game, you know, now they're losing the tiebreaker purpose, possibly to Houston, although Houston ended up dropping to the five seed. But you're mm-hmm. right. They're avoided. UConn. And they get enough, if they win their quarterfinal game on Sunday, they'll have another chance possibly, probably at USF, right. uh, which could be that resume when they get. And I think if they win that game – and I'll ask Charlie this – if they win that game, if they were to beat USF and get to the final, would that be enough to make the NCAAs? I think it might. I think it might. The other thing I will caution though. I, they're gonna play the winner of Temple and Wichita State. Wichita yes. State's the sixth seed. Wichita State, I saw them up close in person and I've talked to people in the league. Wichita State has improved a lot since the first since UCF played them, uh, which was what, January sixth, which was like the second yeah. conference game yeah, of the they, season. They finished the regular is-
0: season fourteen and sixteen, nine and seven in the league, but coming yeah. in they've won four in a row.
1: Yep. And they beat USF earlier this year, so that is a dangerous team in my opinion, that UCF will not be able to take lightly at all. That will be a tricky game on Sunday at noon. That's not yeah. – if they get Wichita State, They got that's a dangerous situation. Uh, so they didn't get a good break from that standpoint. I think Wichita State was the team you kind of were hoping to avoid in the quarterfinals. So keep that in mind. But look, they've put themselves in position. I wrote about it on the on the blackandgobannerette.com a week ago. What they needed to do to get themselves in the mix for the NCAA tournament, and as far as the regular season is concerned, they've done that. They've won out. They've beaten Memphis, beat Houston, beat East Carolina. They got the three seed, and they've put themselves in position here to make a run to get to the final. And I think if they make the final, they have a shot to be in the NCAA's. Yeah. That's all you could ask. I, you know, obviously it'd be great if they win the tournament, but we all know that ain't gonna. It's UConn. It's <laughs> not gonna mm-hmm. happen. But I also think, I think Abe wins coach of the year uh last year they had Gino split it with the temple coach Gino gave him the trophy something like something like that i could see something like that happening again you could give it to Gino every year but i could see abe getting a piece of that this year for finishing third uh in the league we'll see if she does the houston coach i know has had a good year as well uh but i i could see that uh, possibly being in the mix. I would expect Zakiya Saunders to be all conference, either first Mm -hmm. or second team uh, from an award standpoint, but look, it's going to be coming down to, they got to play a couple of good games here because I think they're going to get Wichita state and that'll be a tough game. And then if you get USF, you know what that means. So it could be for everything. So uh, they put themselves in this position. Now we'll see what they can do. And if they could prove that they are worthy of the NCAA tournament.
0: So just to set up the bracket before we get to Charlie, um, UCF is the three seed. They play in Game 5 on Sunday at noon. By the way, the tournament's being held at the Mohegan Sun Arena in, uh, I, I can never understand, it's Uncasville, Connecticut, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so UConn is officially the host. Um, UCF plays at noon on Sunday. The game will be televised on ESPN3, so you can uh, watch it on the uh, app. They play the winner of... Temple and Wichita State. Temple is the 11th seed. Wichita State's the sixth. That game is at noon on Saturday, March 3rd. So if you want to check that out, that's also on ESPN3 Saturday, March the 3rd. Next day at noon, UCF plays the winner of that. USF, by the way, is the two seed on the same side of the bracket as UCF. They play the following set. Uh, they play in the next slot at 2:30 um, against the winner of uh, SMU, ECU. SMU is the 10, ECU the seventh. Uh, and that's at 2 o'clock. Uh, their game is at 2 o'clock on uh, Saturday. East Carolina and uh, Southern Methodist. Uh, so, so yeah, that's how it sets up. And then, assuming you, if UCF wins their quarterfinal on Sunday, they would play in the semis on Monday at 4.30 p.m. against that USF uh, versus SMU-ECU uh, winner. So... Uh, for more info on that, make sure you hit the American Athletic Conference at theamerican.org. dot org. Also follow them at uh, at uh, the American WBB on Twitter.
1: Adam, I mean, by the way, we'll be calling those semifinals and the final yes. the American Women's Basketball Championships with uh, Kara Lawson and Rebecca Lobo. That's the new number one team uh, for ESPN's Women's Basketball coverage. So,
0: and, uh, and oh, by the way, that that semifinal game that UCF would get to if they get out of the quarterfinals would be televised on ESPNU. I should say, the, the, uh, the game after that, which ostensibly would feature UConn, it was on ESPN2. All right, time to f- figure out what this all means in terms of the NCAA tournament and UCF's NCAA tournament hopes. We wanted to reach out to somebody who knew what they were talking about. And lo and behold, Eric, you actually found a legit person who has a <laughs> Ph.D. in bracketology.
1: That's correct. let speak of Charlie Cream. He's been a long time the ESPN women's basketball bracketologist. He breaks it down weekly, usually comes out every Monday, obviously, as they get ready here for conference championship weekend here for women's basketball and the main conferences. Charlie Cream, uh, ESPN's very own bracketologist for women's basketball, joins us now to discuss what is the outlook for UCF women's basketball and their chances for the NCAA tournament. And joining us now is ESPN's women's basketball bracketologist, Charlie Cream, joins us here on the uh, Black to Go, Ben uh, Charlie, how you doing? It's the best time of year now for women's basketball.
2: Oh, the best. March 1st. It's official now.
1: Oh, it's the best. March Madness is here. Uh, Let's talk about, obviously, we're going to talk about the American Conference, but specifically UCF. UCF, uh, 20 wins on the season. And in your most recent uh, bracketology, you have them as one of the last four teams out. What's your first, uh, your thoughts on UCF women's basketball and kind of why you have them where you have them?
2: Uh, I think think, uh, the two things that come to mind, and and they're both sort of on each side of the fence here, is that UCF's a tough team to play against? The way they play defense, and they they kind of make things miserable for the opponents, uh, especially teams who like to score and, and can't really get into that kind of game because of the way UCF defends. Um, that's from that's from a, a kind of a watching, scouting, absorbing their 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 style of play perspective. The other perspective is is the bracketology side, what I do. And the reason I have them on the outside looking in is it, it's really one key thing. And they it's that central Florida does not have any top 50 wins. And I, I, I harken back to that every time because it's such a key element to the committee um, in the past few years when they've left the team out and they're asked, well, why did so-and-so get left out? And it, a lot of times it, it harkens back to the, the lack of or the, the minimal amount of top 50 RPI wins. And teams that don't have any uh, or don't have, just don't have anything on the resume that jumps off the page have historically had a tough time getting in the tournament. And my job essentially is to, I'm trying to predict what 10 people are going to do in a room and 10 people whom I don't know particularly well. In some cases I know them a little bit, but I certainly don't know their, their thought process uh, specifically. But committees tend to kind of work in the same way, even if, even if the people change from year to year a little bit. And so history is the best predictor of, of future events. And no top 50 wins for UCF is the thing that keeps jumping off of the, the computer screen to me.
1: Yeah, no, that that's definitely a question. I think their best win really are, is probably UC Davis up until this point, uh, which is a very good team, but they're just outside the top 50 in the RPI. So now they're, they're one of the – but they are one of the last teams out, and, and they did jump on you because I know for a while you didn't even – you didn't have them listed. So what kind of what, what's kind of turned it around for them in the last week? I know they had that win at Houston uh, to secure the three spot in the American Conference. Uh, so they've got some momentum on their side, don't they?
2: A little bit, yeah. I I think what really jumps out to me was the difficulty that they gave South Florida um, in a game a a couple Sundays ago. Uh, That really indicated to me that the 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 tough defense that they played in the, I think the first meeting with UConn certainly was no fluke, and that they, as I said earlier, they are just difficult to play against. They make teams uncomfortable. That's something that. It's not, that's certainly not an official criterion of the NCAA. But it's, if I, the way I'm watching the game is, is trying to be analytical about it and things I talk about when I, when I ask coaches what they think. Uh, I, one of the things I look for is, are, is a team easy to play against or are they tough to play against? If Maybe, maybe the team doesn't shoot it real well or they don't run a great offense. They're pretty. Maybe they're limited offensively, but but defensively, they're really, really just they make the other team uncomfortable. Or maybe they put so much. Maybe it's another team. They put so much pressure on another team's defense, even though they don't play much defense. And but is there one aspect of the game where they make their opponent uncomfortable? That's the word I use. And I, I just found that about UCF is that they're they're difficult to play against because they. They made that day at least. Uh, they made South Florida pretty uncomfortable. I think they made UConn really uncomfortable, at least in one of their meetings. And that's, I think, that's generally how their games go. Um, and I, I think that, and I think that's an attribute. It's like I said, it's not an official criterion of the committee, but it's to me, it's an indicator that the team is is good or is improved or is some it at least should be a team of note.
1: Well, it's the eye test, if, in a way, because you mentioned that UConn game. They, when they hosted UConn, they held them to the fewest points this year—fifty-five points—which not many could say they've done that against UConn. And you've written about this, and I encourage everybody. One of the things you do a great job—not only do you put your uh, bracketology, your, your projections of the sixty-four teams, but you also write articles about certain teams, seeds, and bubble teams. And one of the teams you talked about, for example, was Buffalo, who all the numbers look good. They have a great, extremely great RPI, but yet if you actually look deep down in the Resume, there's nothing that really jumps out. Is it much difficult now? Do teams now, I wouldn't say manipulate numbers, but they know how to really pump up their numbers more and maybe puff it up more? Does it make it a lot harder to figure out who's good or who's not? Because I know you've written at length about that, and in particular, Buffalo.
2: You're right, exactly. And Buffalo is, uh, they're, a, they're a real anomaly this year. <laughs> and, and as an anomaly, they've become an enigma. I don't really know what to make of Buffalo. Uh, and to, to the first part of your question, the, yeah, there are programs that have kind of figured this out uh, in terms of scheduling. The, the key with the RPI, and and this is where I think the I would like to see the committee sort of expand some of their the the use of some of the data that's we're finding that's, that's out there now, is uh, just to look at other things or or make make it official that they're looking at other things. I, I kind of think that they are. But make it official that they're that they're using other analytics. Um, is if with the RPI, if if you just don't schedule really poorly, you don't really have to go for it in the schedule either to to give yourself a workable RPI number. Um, but when when Mike Neighbors was the coach at Washington, he's now at Arkansas. He he put together a binder, a massive binder about scheduling that that was attached to helping everybody's RPI. And he said, and basically he laid it out for all the other coaches and said, if we all schedule like this in the non-conference, then all of our RPI numbers will be decent when we get into conference play. So then when we play each other, one particular team won't hurt another's number and it will only enhance. And that's sort of how you do it. Um, it's the scheduling is a, is an art for sure. And but there is a little science involved in it as well. People have asked me, um, even other even other coaches or other people at ESPN. When, when as if the season's gone on, we talk about Baylor, for instance. And you know, like, well, Baylor just didn't play anybody in the non-conference. That's why they're not a number one seed, and, and it's true. That's why Baylor's never gotten to the one line with, with either, any of the three NCAA reveals or anything that I've done. Although I did, I do think they're they're one of the four best teams in the country, but you can't really put them on the one line because of the non-conference schedule they played. And the problem with their non-conference schedule was not so much that they didn't, they played a couple of decent teams, but that the bad teams that they played were really bad. And, and that's, that made their number look terrible. Um, Now Buffalo, getting back to Buffalo, they didn't really play anybody was really bad. They didn't necessarily play anybody that was really good either um, but it, it it has allowed them, and sometimes there's just these weird things with the RPI, and Buffalo and one of them. That's why I, I called them uh, an anomaly earlier in this con- this part of the conversation. Is that you know the, the record's good, and the, and the RPI is outstanding. It's it's in the top twenty, but the non-conference schedule wasn't necessarily great. And as I said, they didn't they just didn't play anybody horrible. And that seems to be the reason that they've been able to get in the top twenty. And um, you know, I, I'm not like like I said, I'm not really sure what to do with them. But I do know, going back to the history part, historically, teams who finish in the top twenty in the RPI do not get left out of the tournament. And it, it's just a, it's just been a fact of. But but at the same time, it's very rare that we see a mid major this high in the RPI this late in the season without a. Marquee win of some kind, so that's where the, that's where the struggle with Buffalo comes into play, and these are the, these are the things I like to write about when I do my my adjoining column to my bracket because these these are the things that jump off. These are the weird things that come up from you know every once in a while you get a year like this, and it's it's kind of the fun stuff to try to figure out what's going to happen because we don't really have necessarily a precedent.
1: Yeah, no, you're right, and it makes it challenging for the committee and for for people like you as well to figure out who gets into the field, and with the way teams are scheduling. But yet, you know, it's also a balance of okay, you know, the numbers say this, but my eyes when I watch this team says another thing, and I think that's the balancing act, right? It's it's trying to use those numbers, but at the same time, you also you know see what you see. Is this really a good basketball team? Like everybody knows, Baylor's a great basketball team, uh, despite what the numbers might say. They they're they're really one of the best teams in the country.
2: Exactly, and, and that's why I said that when when the first NCAA reveal came out about Baylor, they were ninth, so they were a three seed, and I just I, I completely disagreed with that. I said essentially what the committee is telling us is that there are eight teams in the country better than Baylor, and there is no way that is true. I know they I know a lot of what they've played in the non conference wasn't wasn't good. It was a lot of really weak teams, and teams that they could beat by fifty, sixty points which is, is not great for the game and it's not, it's not great on the eyes, but if we're watching enough basketball, we have over the course of our lives, we know the game. There's simply where there was no way that anybody could have convinced me that there were eight teams in the country better than Baylor at that, even at that point in the season. And I, and I, and I think that bore itself out. I think we saw that Baylor certainly was minimally one of the top five teams in the country. And that's where they ultimately have landed, um, but it, so there is there certainly is and should be an element of watching the games and evaluating the teams. But sometimes that different people's eyes tell them different things. So that's really subjective. So that's why we have things like the RPI. That's why we measure metrics, because the our eyes are uh, not, not only do different different people see things in a different way, but everybody is a human being has some maybe has some kind of even if it 's minimal has some kind of agenda or some kind of uh, history with a, a team a school a, a a circumstance that help that helps them see things a certain way when someone else is seeing it a different way so you, so that 's why we need that balance we need both um, but i I do think we should all who evaluate this stuff, just watch as much basketball as we can. The committee members do. They do their diligence. There's no question that they work very hard. Um, I like to think that I work very hard. I watch a ton of games. Um, someone was asking me the other night, do, you know, how many games, or do you watch a lot of games? or do you base, you know?" I, I think their question was essentially, do you just go by the numbers, or do you watch a lot of games? And I said, no, I, I watch a ton of games. Uh, this, actually, this conversation took place on Tuesday night, Uh, the night before, I had watched four games, parts of four games on my DVR before (laughs) I packed and got on my plane the next morning for Nashville, which is where I am now for the uh, SEC tournament. Um, so I do watch a lot of games. And then that night, I watched games from the Big Ten, the Ivy League, and from the American, actually. So, um, it it's a it's a wide variety, and I think that's an important element to this you know this the the so called eye test um, but that becomes the hardest thing to evaluate because how how can I know what a a ten person committee does where they where they're where they're coming from and what they're seeing um, and that that is that's a really hard element to the evaluation process to try to mimic. Um, I can only mimic what I see and what and and that's where sometimes maybe I get a c I, I miss a team that the committee put in or something like that because I saw things a little bit differently than they did.
1: We're speaking with ESPN's women's basketball bracketologist, Charlie Cream, here on the Black and Go Banneret. So UCF is the three-seed at the American Conference Championship Tournament. I I wrote about this a week ago that I felt for them to have a shot to make the field that they would, first of all, have to be in that two- or three-seed line. You don't want to be the four-seed because if you're in the four-seed, you're up against Connecticut in the semis, and that's uh, (laughs) that's not a good team you want to run into when you need a resume win. So I felt like... They needed to be in the same bracket as USF, so they get another opportunity at USF, knock off USF in the semis, and get to the final. Am I am I on point, or am I way off base? And they still need help, even if they accomplish that.
2: No, you're on point. That's certainly what they need to do. And I, and now, they, they, I think they're going to need some help too, if certain other things happen, um, because sometimes that that of those available slots. For at large teams begins to shrink as we go forward here, so that would be the necessary place to start for sure that would put them it would certainly it would certainly elevate u c f closer to the to the actual cut line but as i said there's there's other things that could happen that would take bids away for instance teams that would that would probably be evaluated ahead of u c f like a green, like let's we'll, we'll say Green Bay. Green Bay's going to make the field, even if they don't win the Horizon League tournament. But if they don't, then another Horizon League team gets in. That that takes a bit away. Um, a team like Florida Gulf Coast. I'm not sure that they would make the field. I don't think they would if they if they don't win the Atlantic Sun. But they'd be a team, another team now to have to compete with in the committee's mind. For one of those last spots, things like that, uh, examples like that. If someone other than Buffalo or Central Michigan were to win in the MAC, um, then the committee has now they have an automatic team they have to put in, and two other teams from the MAC. Now instead of one other team to evaluate as an at large. So, for UCF fans that are that are hoping that, they, they, that a, a chance is, is arrived upon. For a, a, a bit or a, a that large bid and getting it in the field, certainly getting to the semis, beating UCF and 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 playing a decent game against Connecticut in the final would be where they need to start. But root you have to root against these other things too, and and certainly you don't want somebody coming out of nowhere and winning one of these major conference tournaments. I don't think that's going to happen, but some other things that they that that UCF fans could root against is um they'd like they'd like to see teams like Minnesota, Purdue. Nebraska, all loose as early as possible in the Big Ten tournament. There's a lot of bubble teams in the Big Ten and if some of those bubble teams could get upset maybe early in the tournament and it just becomes kind of chalked the rest of the way with Ohio State and Maryland getting to the final, that would give UCF a better chance too because they'd be elevating while some of those Big Ten bubble teams would be Start taking a step back, and that those those would be good things too. So, that's the fun part of this. Is right now this week with the major conference tournaments taking place, you know, the end of this week and in the beginning part of next. This is where the puzzle starts to become, in some cases, more complicated, and in some cases, clearer. Just depending on what happens on the court, but all of those things are in play. Not not only for UCF, but uh, but pretty much any other bubble team.
1: And, and people have asked me about this, and I wonder if you think about this. They need USF to actually win their quarterfinal game. It sounds weird to say that, that you want your rival and a tougher opponent to advance. But they need you to play USF, right? Like if USF were to get upset, let's say, in the quarterfinals, and they would play one of the lower seats, that actually doesn't help UCF in their bid to get into the NCAAs, even if they were to win that game and get to the final. Am I right on that? They have to play USF. Yeah. They need a top 50 win, and that would be a top
2: 25 win. They add that's 100% accurate. They have to have UCF in that game. Not having UCF in that game gives them no opportunity. Uh, Then then their only opportunity becomes beating Connecticut. (laughs) And I think we all know, as we've already discussed, where that puts most teams, the position that puts most teams in.
1: Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. Um, Obviously, UConn and USF are locks in the field. Let's talk about USF what uh what do they have to gain of anything from this week in the conference i know you have them as a 6 seed in the latest uh bracketologist. do they, they what what's the ceiling for them what you know if they get to the final does that improve anything what 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 is uh, what's the gain on usf
2: they're they're actually an interesting uh, team i was really looking at them hard yesterday as i was sitting at a couple of the SEC uh, early round games um i have them as a 6 but i almost think that with uh, I still think they they might be in play for a top four seed if things break the right way. Their RPI number really jumped up when they played UConn, so they're now they're in the top fifteen in the RPI, and they have five top fifty wins. Now some of them are kind of you know borderline top you know top fifty. I don't know how some of them are, are a little bit more impressive than others, but they had that win over. Connecticut or I'm sorry, Ohio state. Um, they haven't played Connecticut particularly well in the two games, but they, but it's, but say for instance, a team that they could be competing against or a team that right now I have them on the same line as a, as a 60 is LSU Mm -hmm. and they beat LSU. Um, you know, so they're, they're an interesting team because they've got some numbers that would say, well, maybe, maybe a hosting situation is not out of the question. But they haven't been mentioned by the committee at all in any of the any of the reveals, not and that, not that the committee has given, has given us anything beyond the top sixteen. But they haven't been in any of the reveals, and I, I think they're a little bit on the outside looking in. Now that said, they get to the final and they play a much better game against UConn. Then I then then I think they could be in that conversation, depending on some other things happening. I think there are too many teams. The way I see it, there are too many teams for them to have to elevate past but if the committee maybe if the committee looks has looked at them differently and has them more in the 18 19 range rather than in the 23 24 range where i have them then a, a circumstance like i just mentioned getting to the final and playing well against uconn could be enough to get them into the top 16 and, and get them hosting i know jose fernandez would really really like that
1: yeah no <laughs> and i i, he's I know that's the things
2: to me <laughs> Charlie, this is us compared to this team, and this is us compared to that team, and I I, I agreed with him. I didn't. You know, he made very valid points and arguments in the data. It's are facts, but the the issue there is uh, the committee's already spoken on some of these teams. We know where the we know the committee's put them in the top sixteen. So breaking through past that those teams um, is a little more more difficult because we because of these reveals, we kind of know where the committee's thinking on at least certain things.
1: No, and I spoke to him recently when I called one of his games, and he acknowledged that the loss to Wichita State really kind of still haunts him a little bit, because that took a major hit in the RPI, and he felt that if they would have beaten Wichita State, that maybe they're being a better position to host right now than if they would uh, instead of losing that game. Uh, is is teams like USF and UCF being hurt this year by the league being down in the American compared to last year? I know they've had some injuries. I've written about this, where one of the things that's hurt in UCF's case is that the American this year is down. With you know, partly things they can't control. SMU is down. They had they lost their star player Alicia Froling for the year, so they've been down. Uh, Temple, which was an NCAA tournament team last year, lost their star point guard Alicia Butts to an ACL, so they're way down this year. So the league is down compared to last year. Is that what is what's hurting the USFs and, and UCFs as far as their resumes?
2: It is uh, to to a large degree, yes, because there just aren't that many opportunities to get quality wins and. So some of the games that you play are essentially meaningless to the resume. You know that you know Memphis has had a ton of injuries too. Um, you know when you're talking about teams that are outside the top 150 in the RPI, they just they're almost throwaways in terms of resume building, and, and there's too much of that in the league this year. So yeah, it has hurt. Now it, it, UCF's numbers haven't been. Or I'm sorry, USF's numbers haven't been crushed by it because they are like the so top 15 in the RPI now. But it's it's taken two games against Connecticut to get them there. Um, and uh, yeah, UCF's situation certainly has been hurt by that. I think they would have. I mean, 44 is not a bad number. 44 is is a decent number. That it's a very bubble team type number in terms of the RPI. And 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 what the RPI does it kind of sets the tone for the whole evaluation process by the committee They that's how they kind of group teams by their RPI and then they start to have discussions about them and vote on them in, in, in these groups and the if if maybe if, if Safe Temple were the temple that we've seen the last couple of years they would, be, they would have been another top 50 RPI team that everybody would have had a chance to play and that would have been that would have been a big boost potentially to certainly to UCF and they just don't have that this year. So you're right. It's the the, the league, the the bottom half of the league, or the fact that nobody else really, other than Houston, no one else has even really had a decent season, does hurt when you have to play them. And then and then you have to go back to the you know the, the non conference schedule to give you enough. And in UCF's case, probably not quite enough, at least at this point.
1: Last thing, uh, UConn is the number one overall seed. Are they a lock, or could a team like Mississippi State, uh, you're at the SEC Champ Tournament, they're a team that made it to the the national title game last year. They've been undefeated. If Mississippi State were to win the SEC Tournament, which is a better league in most regards than the American, could they sneak in over UConn as the overall number one seed, or is UConn a lock as the number one overall seed?
2: No, I think uh, you raise actually an interesting point. Connecticut would obviously have to lose. so. So if, if Connecticut wins out and, and wins the, the American tournament, they they would be the number one seed no matter what Mississippi State does. But say there's an upset uh, and Connecticut doesn't win the tournament and Mississippi State does continue to sweep through the SEC and wins it, I think, yeah, I think Mississippi State would, would then be the overall number one. But it doesn't happen without a Connecticut loss. And since we have never seen that before, in the American <laughs> it, uh, again, history for, is a predictor of future events we haven't seen that happen so I, I wouldn't anticipate it. but that said, let's just say let's you know th- this time of year is all about hypotheticals this is the fun part. Let's just say Connecticut loses to let's just say for fun they lose to UCF in the final and UCF gets into the field as the automatic qualifier and Mississippi State wins it all. It, it won't change the actual layout of the bracket. Connecticut would still go to Albany, and Mississippi State would still go to Kansas City. So that part of it would it it would be a nice thing for Vic Schaefer to say. You know, we were the number one overall seed in in the NCAA tournament one year. But in terms of once they start playing the games in the tournament, once the bracket would be laid out, it would look no different than it would than it looks today.
1: Okay. Well, I tell you what, you made some UCF uh, fans of, uh, became fans of yours with that last uh, statement. Hey, they beat you <laughs> Connecticut. I'll tell you. Um, Charlie, uh, Charlie Cream, everybody, women's basketball bracketologist for ESPN. Check out ESPN.com. Uh, he, Charlie Cream's on Twitter, Uh, and and he's going to be updating this uh, leading up until Selection Monday night, a week from this Monday when the women's basketball selection uh, show uh, comes out and we find out who the teams of 64 are. Uh, Charlie, I appreciate you taking the time explaining kind of the behind the scenes and how this works because, you know, as you know, there's a lot of bandwagon fans and fans are casual fans that this time of year they kind of hop on and are wondering what's going on and what do they need to root for. So uh, you do an incredible job. And, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, from your busy schedule to uh, teaching us a little bit of what to, uh, what to expect and uh, how things work.
2: Oh, it was great to do it. I always love talking about this stuff. I can't get enough this time of year, so any conversation I, I can have about it is, is a welcome one to me.
1: That's awesome, uh, Charlie. I'll get you uh, – get some uh, – try to take a, a nap here and there between all this basketball between now and we're going to see you in the next uh, week or so, buddy. Take care. Yeah, sleep
2: is, sleep is, a, is a very valuable commodity this time of year for sure.
1: <laughs> all right, man. Enjoy the SEC tournament, and uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing those bracketologists, and, uh, and we'll talk to you down the road. thanks so much and thanks again to charlie cream espn women's basketball bracketologist you can follow him on twitter on charlie cream at charlie cream on twitter and uh keep that brackets he'll be updating that and uh between now and selection monday which will be the monday night after the men's selection show be monday night that's uh, it's kind of unique it will not be this monday but the following monday when we'll find out Right. Uh and uh, the NCAA tournament chances. So interesting stuff he had to say. You may agree with some of it, you may not agree with some of it, but um look, the bottom line Jeff, I think regardless of how you feel what they need to do, don't need to do or whatever, just got to win games, right? You win games and, and it takes you hope that it takes care of itself. I think right. I'm going to stick to it, get get to the final and uh, you know, you know, we'll see what happens.
0: It's interesting that we do all this kvetching about this and we're like, well, w- well wait a second. If you if you win, you don't have to worry about it. So Just win the bloody games, for crying out loud. So, all right. Um, Let's take a quick break. And uh, when we get back, uh, we will talk uh, tennis, actually. We got tennis on tap. We got baseball on tap. We got uh, catch up with softball on tap. And we will have John Roddick, the director of tennis at UCF, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Stick around. We are back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at wesellorlando.net. Again, that's wesellorlando.net. Dot net you can also reach them on Facebook at facebook.com slash we sell Orlando get in touch with the unger real estate group today and make finding your dream home a reality
2: and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights!
0: Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. All right, welcome back to the show. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Black and Gold Banneret podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So if you haven't yet, leave us a rating. Um, and tell your friends to subscribe too. Uh, you can also hit us up at twitter at ucf underscore banneret and facebook.com slash black and gold banneret uh, as well all right special uh, it 's a double interview show Eric so this, so this is a really special one for everybody and we 've got a really great guest that we 're having on once again uh, this year. UCF tennis uh, is uh, has turned a corner, my friend uh, now you may remember a couple of weeks ago we had Brian Kaneko on. He's the uh, women's tennis coach, and uh, now we have his. We're going to have his boss on, the director of tennis and the head coach of the UCF men's tennis team, uh, John Roddick. They have a big weekend coming up. Uh, they are four and two right now on the season, and they have got a murderer's row in the schedule coming up. But it's all at home at the USTA National Campus, uh, which is down by uh, Lake Nona. It starts on Saturday with a match against Michigan at twelve thirty. Which, by the way, is so big um, with this big uh, with this big tennis weekend coming up down there that um, there will be a bus service um, taking students down a, a shuttle service down to the USTA National Campus starting at eleven a.m. First come, first serve for only forty two spots uh, available for that. So um, if you get the chance, uh, if you're a student or uh, listening, you know, make sure you and you're looking for some of that to get down to college match USTA College Match Day at the USTA National Campus, make sure you do that. So, uh, Eric Lopez, I know how much of a big tennis fan you are. You're so excited to talk to John, and, uh, and, and we're going to dive into it in just a second. But um, you know, just give, give us the lay of the land right now for this team, because it feels like they're on the verge of getting hot as they begin to test themselves against the competition coming up in the schedule.
1: Well, and it's going to start this Saturday. I mean, Michigan's a top-ten program in in, in men's tennis. This is, by the way, I mean, this is not just men's tennis, but women's tennis is playing Michigan at the same time on 1230. This match, they will be carried on the tennis channel. That's a big deal. I mean, you could help me out. I don't remember UCF ever being on television. um, I don't think uh, I've ever UCF
0: tennis ever being televised. uh, Yeah. Aside from something that uh, that maybe I shot. (laughs) You
1: know? Right, and that's one of the, that's one of the and that's one of the things I t- I'll talk to uh, Coach Roddick about is the exposure of college tennis now on television. We'll talk about that, of course, as part of college match day. But it's a big stretch for this team as they try to get back into the NCAA tournament. And um, you know, the women's team is doing great, and the men's team is getting going. They're coming off the win against Stetson; they've won four in a row. But now we're going to see where they stack up against Michigan. It's a young roster, but. Uh, that's some of the things we'll be talking to Coach Roddick about among many topics. Uh, of course, we had him on about a year and a half ago when he first arrived here. And once again, Jeff, uh, exclusive here on Black & Go, Ben Red, we'll have Coach Roddick again here momentarily to talk about the state of the program and what uh, what's
0: ahead. All right. So without further ado, here is Eric Lopez's interview with UCF men's tennis head coach and director of tennis, John Roddick.
1: And joining us now here is the head coach of the UCF men's tennis team. They will be in action on Saturday at home at the USTA Center as they'll take on Michigan, a match that will be shown on the Tennis Channel. It's part of College Match Day. And the director of tennis and head coach of UCF Tennis, John Roddick, joins us here. And, uh, Coach, how are you doing? Hey there. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Let's talk about this match first—a big one against Michigan. It'll be nationally televised on the Tennis Channel. It's part of College Match Day. First, explain for the audience that may not be aware what is College Match Day.
3: Well, College Match Day is an initiative that uh, the USTA started, um, obviously with the, the development of Lake Nona um, and the USTA National Campus down there, and they've, you know, they've been bringing some of the top teams from around the country uh, in, and they've, and they've, you know, really tried to promote. You know, just televising college tennis and they think it's a great product for TV and, you know so they've been on the forefront of, of trying to televise uh, a lot of matches. and so with our home being there, you know we're, we're, we're included in, in uh, two of those matches this year. our women's team is is also doing the playing missing at the same time so that's kind of a you know another interesting thing to have you know, our facilities are built where you can actually have simultaneous matches so uh, you know you can watch the women on one side and the and the men on the other. And so, uh, you know, it's just—it's just a neat initiative. And I, you know, I always wondered as a, you know, being a tennis person all my life, and then once I became a college tennis player, I, I wondered why college tennis wasn't on TV because it's a, the team format is a very, very exciting format. It's probably one of the more exciting ways to watch tennis, and, and you know, the Division One level is a very high level. So, uh, you know, you would think it would lend itself to it, but it's just, you know, I think through costs and things like that, it was always very difficult. Um, and the USTA is, is, is starting to solve a lot of those problems. And, and these are just great events for, for fans, too.
1: And great exposure. As you mentioned, it, for a while, I wondered the same thing. Why we didn't see more college tennis on television. But slowly but surely, we're seeing more of it now. Uh, you know, the, now the postseason's right. being carried. And you mentioned the tennis channel's carrying this. So, uh, and, it, and I think it's helped, too, don't you think, with a lot of the professional players that have had success in college recently. So more people are curious now with college program and college tennis.
3: Yeah, you've had you've had uh, several top players in the last you know in the last 15 years come out at uh, you know Kevin Anderson final at the U.S. Open last year, James Blake, Steve Johnson been a member of Davis Cup, you know an Olympic medalist, and John Isner been a, a top 10 player and a consistent you know really top 15 almost all the time. So yeah, so there's there's been a lot more emphasis, and I think a lot of players around the world are are viewing college as a much more viable pathway to play professionally, just like a lot of other sports at the at the you know NCAA level. So. Um, you know, and with those with those players' success, and you know, there's and there's you, know, you, you did not even mention all the guys that are that are earning a living that played college tennis. Uh, you know, so it's it's just becoming something that, you know, I think college tennis maybe lost a little bit in the in the late '80s and '90s, and maybe early part of this uh, century.
1: Let's talk about uh, your program. Of course, you're coming in 4-2 and two this season. You're fresh off in your first season where you made the NCAA tournament going 16-7, and seven, uh, got to the American Conference Championship match, which was held at the USTA Center. You finished 33rd ranked in the Oracle uh, ITA rankings. As you're a year now going into your second season here, do you feel you're actually ahead of schedule where you're at or you feel like you're at where you thought you'd be?
3: Well, I, I think our recruiting went really well. You know, the the first summer I was here, we got a lot of transfers, and and that's really what we needed at that time. And, uh, you know, just with short turnaround. I mean, our our signing period, you know, it's not like football where, you know, coaches are training jobs, and, and, you know, as tennis coaches or other sports, we kind of laugh like, oh, they've only got a month. Well, when we change, we have zero. The, The signing period is already a month and a half gone. And so there's really not, you know, much you can do. So, you know, but there's always kids that are looking to transfer and things. So, you know, we 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 did a good job with that and got a lot of the top transfers, or really probably all of them, actually the first the first year. And then, and then they did a, We had a very, you know, kind of a senior laden, junior laden team last year. Um, you know, with a bunch of kids that we that came together as a team that weren't teammates for four years. You know, and so that was that was a fun year. And, and I felt like we we did a really good job overachieving it. And then this year's dynamic is, you know, probably the the polar opposite, where we still have two of the players that transferred as actually the two that transferred from Alabama um and then we have four freshmen playing um and then really five out of our top seven are freshmen so we have this you know, dynamic where you know from a coaching standpoint it's you know we're, we're very good at times because our you know our recruiting class is four freshmen brought in it was one of the top two or three four classes in the country um you know but then at the same time that you you are dealing with youth and, and the level difference from juniors to to division one is 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 big you know so we have uh you know, we had a learning curve. Whether whether the players sometimes like to like to realize that or not.
1: And you mentioned, you know, your roster. It's an international field. Where you got players that are from Brazil, Ukraine, India, Spain, Mexico, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Russia, and Finland. Uh, just talk about the international players coming to the states, coming to college, and playing college tennis, and how that impacts from a recruiting standpoint, and uh, uh, just kind of the the influence that the international players have had in the college game.
3: Yeah, it's you know, our our team's not unique in that respect. I mean, tennis is such a global sport and um it, it translates to to the D1 level at the same time. I mean, you know, even back in the 90s when I played, I, I we, my friend and I we counted up one time it was, uh, there was only 12 Americans in the top 75 of the rankings so uh of the national rankings in the, in the singles. So, you know, our sport has always been heavily international. Um you know, we 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 have also two Americans in our starting lineup too, so you know, we, we recruit globally. I you know, me as a as a as a head coach and recruiter, I don't I don't really tend to worry too much about where where they're from. I I, I tend to worry about the character and the and the ability and and are they going to be are they going to do well in school? You know, we don't want you know, those are just issues as a coach in, in our sport that I don't feel like we really need to have to deal with if you recruit the right way and, and those things. And so you know, we our, our team had the highest GPA in the department in the fall, and and you know, and they're and they're on track at tennis to. To start getting to the you know reaching the goals we want, and so you know it's a very diverse group we have, and, and you know that's in tennis we're so used to it, and you know I, I don't even think twice when you have you, know, you have people speaking English with different accents everywhere, and you know for for as a tennis player you know, and, a, and a coach at a high level when you travel, that's just that's what it is, you know, and so our sport is uh, it is just so global.
1: Talk about the roster. Of course, you got Alan Rubio, who's nationally is ranked in singles competition. You got Corey Lovett, who's ranked in the doubles. Just talk about the roster that you have here in 2018 and for fans that are going to go out and watch you play uh, either this Saturday against Michigan or throughout the season.
3: Yeah, well, well Corey, uh, Corey Lovett's from North Carolina. He's, he's been playing number one for us. He was ranked 35 in the country last year, and he'll, he, he just hasn't played any college tournaments this year, so he'll be back in those rankings here shortly. Um, you know, and he'll be you know one of the players probably you know vying for the to make the field of 64 for the singles. So he's been a he's been a, a top of the lineup player both at Alabama and and here now at UCF. So uh, you know he's a guy that we count on in singles and doubles to kind of anchor the top of our lineup. And uh, Allen has has been playing great. He just played the the ATP 500 down in Acapulco, the Qualies, and uh, lost some three sets to to a guy ranked you know it's been a top hundred player in the world. So that was a even in a loss that's a very good result for a for a young player to. Yeah, you know, just to compete at that level and, and make the match tough. Um, you know, a lot of times you see players get those wild cards like that and they and they lose, you know, one and one or two and one and you know, Allen really pushed and, and you know did a great job getting into a third set. So so that was very encouraging. Um you know, and, and then Gabriel DeCamps has been playing great for Brazil. He's one of the top recruits last year in the country coming in. He he had a, a slow finish to his, his junior year, uh, like coming out of juniors, I mean not his not his junior year. In college, but coming out of juniors, he, he didn't finish strong, and he's he's really started to come on and has a, a solid record playing two for us. So and, and Mikhail Sokolovsky is you know really really starting to play well too from from Moscow. So you know we're we're heading the right way. It's just uh, you know you need to, you need six guys going the right way at the at the same time, and so we're still figuring that stuff out. But I think uh, you know as this year goes on, the team has a lot of room for improvement, and our our ability level ties, So you know I'm, I'm I I keep telling every day like you know we just have to you know, take, take the bat and, and, and deal with it. And it's, it's really going to, you know, it's going to depend how we deal with the, with the, the things that, that don't go our way and how we react to it. I think that's how, how good our team will be. We, we've got the ability.
1: And, and so you put this team together and you decide, all right, who plays doubles together and who's singles and in what order. Just to, to talk to the audience, what, what goes in the thinking process as far as a coach when you built this tennis team? Because obviously you've you're, you got individuals who can do individual things, but at the same well, time yeah. you're trying to win as a team.
3: Yeah, it, it, tennis is that way. I mean, it's a nice thing for us. We have six balls, so, you know, we don't we don't really have to worry about playing time. The only the only bad thing for tennis players is either you're getting 100% of the playing time or, or zero. You know, every now and then you get a guy that just plays double or something like that. But, you know, we're, we're not worrying about minutes and, and, you know, snaps and stuff like that. So you're, you're either in tennis, you're either in or you're out. And, and so that, that makes it a little bit easier for us. But it's also probably the toughest thing I do is to you know, tell a kid that he's that he's not playing, you know, and, and because I can't get a minute, you know. So that's that's probably the hardest part. And then, you know, organizing the doubles lineup is – it's a little bit hit or miss. I mean, we, we changed it. I mean, I, one year at Oklahoma, we, when I was at Oklahoma, we ended up making the NCAA finals as a team, but I, I blew up my doubles lineup, the you know, two days before the NSA tournament, you know. So when we had to turn our lineups in, I, I went with three brand-new teams because we just – you know, for whatever reason, we couldn't get it right, and then you know the last move was the one that worked out well, and we we only lost one doubles point the whole tournament. So uh, in making, and we won the doubles point in the final. So you know, it's it's a little bit of a, a hit or miss, you know, kind of guessing game, and it's it's very strange. You you feel like as a coach, you see enough, you should know who's going to play well together. But the more I think I have the answer, the the more I'm wrong on it. So it's really you just have to you have to be willing to experiment with it and not be afraid to make changes and. And let guys play, or if they're in a slump, just change it. It's kind of like a kind of like a pitcher, I guess. You know, when you see when you see guys start struggling in doubles, it happens really fast. You gotta you gotta get them out and make a change. And, and so, you know, I just I've learned to you know, just it's really not really having a great idea. It's just you gotta have a feel when to when to make a move.
1: We're speaking with uh, UCF men's tennis coach and director of tennis of UCF, uh, John Roddick, here on the Black and Go Banneret. UCF will take on Michigan 12:30 on the tennis channel, part of College Match Day. The men and the women will play against Michigan. And I want to ask you about the women's program because you oversee them as the director of tennis. They're ranked 36th in the most re- in the latest ITA rankings. Just talk. We had Brian Kaneko on here recently. Just talk about the job he's doing, and and, and kind of seeing what the women's doing. They're off to an incredible start this year. Are they maybe even ahead of schedule? What you might have thought.
3: Yeah, they, it's, you know, they're they're in a similar position as we are. I mean, they they um, you know they, they they had some good success last year. They didn't make the NCA tournament, but they they won as you know. I don't know all the records of UCF on the on the the men's or the women's side. It's so not something I pay a lot of attention to, but I know they had more wins than they'd had in a while. Yep. Um, last year. Uh, and then this year, you know, they recruited really well, so they're, you know, they, they they're coming in with a little bit of confidence, and their and their talent level went up with their recruiting. So, uh, but they're also dealing with some of the same things that we deal with, where you're young, and when you're young, you're going to be a little inconsistent, you know. And they've had some great wins, and I know they have had one or two matches that they'd like back, just like just like we have, you know. But that's, but yeah, I, I would say they're 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 very far ahead of schedule because, they, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time now, and I, I know if you if you stack two or three good recruiting classes together. Um, you know, you can end up in the top ten or top five and, and vying for national championships. And he's, you know, and, and Brian's definitely taking that first step. So, um, and then when you get the momentum, too, the, the first step's usually the hardest. So, uh, if you can keep that going, then, you know, they, they've definitely got a chance to, to, to do really well in the future.
1: Well, and you mentioned it. I mean, the, the the this program's both in the men and the women haven't had a lot of success recently. The men's last year, prior to last year, the last time they made the NCAA tournament was 2005. Kyle Lovett last year was became the first player ever in the history of the program to make the NCAA tournament as a singles in the singles tournament. So, uh, what was it like when you came over here? Taking over a program that's not really traditionally a tennis pro- power or a tennis program, you're coming from Oklahoma, national title contender, powerhouse program. Now you're starting this program really from scratch.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is. It was different. I mean, there, there's there's parts of it that they were different, but in, in our world of tennis, Florida is the is the epicenter of tennis in the world. Um, you know, a lot of the top players in the world. Are, you know, Andy Murray trains in Miami. Uh, my brother. You know, we we grew up playing in Florida. Um, you know, so you have all you know, Sebastian Gros. I mean, you go through the list from Jimmy Connors to, I mean, just all throughout the the, the history of tennis. You're gonna you know, Maria Sharapova. I mean, I, I named literally almost everybody has spent time training in Florida. Um, and then you have some of the biggest tournaments with the, with the Miami Open. Uh, you know, Delray Beach. You know, the women have their their tournaments as well, the WTA events. So, you know it, it's just a place where all the you know, whether you're American or foreign, you, you end up spending a ton of time in Florida. So. Um, you know when I was looking at the opportunity here it was different it was definitely you know I, I think I surprised some of the coaches in in you know in, at least the men on the men's side for you know coming but but I also knew what what Danny White wanted to wanted to do here you know he wants to, to develop national contenders and and I think tennis of, of all the sports we have is as good a shot or better you know as anyone to to win a national championship and you know we just have a lot of factors that that point the right direction for tennis here and you know, we just you know UCS has done the done the job. you still have to put resources into it, and you know, and that's what they wanted to do. So for me, it was a very intriguing opportunity because it was it was different, but it was definitely you know you're definitely not building a historical building on historical uh, uh, accomplishments with the program. But you know, that being said, I mean they've had good teams here in the past, and, and so they've had teams that have made the State tournament. So you know that you can get to that level, and and you know with the with the USCA national camps and those things, I feel like you know, there's no reason we can't we can't be competing for national titles here shortly, and, and, and that's the goal, you know.
1: Well, and you mentioned the USTA National Campus. I know that was a big draw there. Everybody's glowing about that. It's open now for over a year. Of course, you got to host the American Conference Championships last year. In the future, you're going to be hosting the NCAA Championships. Now that you're a year into that facility, for those that are maybe not familiar, just talk about that facility and the impact it's already made. We're only just a year old.
3: Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, the first thing people say about it, it's a 100-court facility, but it's it's really divided up into into different areas, from community tennis to player development, and then collegiate tennis, which is which is our part of the facility. So, uh, you know, there we have a very traditional college facility there, with you know six, uh, well, two sets of six stadium courts that are that are literally mirror images of each other, with locker rooms and lounges and coaches off of them, I and mean, just everything you would expect to see on a normal campus. But you know, we also throw in where we have indoor courts, we have you know access to clay courts. Um, you know, there's pro tournaments that are played there, so. You know, for us, being able to face out of there is 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 pretty incredible. You know, it, it's just a, it's just the place you want to be. When we bring recruits there, you know, it, it's it's definitely different. I mean, if you're looking at going to Oklahoma or you're looking to go to, you know, Texas and, and guys coming on recruiters trips, a lot of times these recruits will stack their trips together, you know, so they're going from one to the other over the course of a week. And, you know, when they come to UCF now, it's it's different. You know, and, and recruiting, that's that's awesome because, it, you know, you can spend a lot of time in – and, you know, whether they, they come or they don't come, you, you, they can make their decision on you see it very quickly. You know, because you know, if you don't want to play tennis as a collegiate athlete here and, you know, on the tennis team, then we're not the place for you because, you know, that's what we're all about and we have so many opportunities for, for kids to play, whether it's collegiately, professionally, you know, and, and that's, where, that's where we're getting a lot of the interest where, you know, kids just have a lot more opportunity to, uh, to see where they stand in the, in the tennis world, you know, whether it's their collegiate ranking, their pro ranking, um, you know, they're just gonna get a lot more opportunities because we're because of where we're based.
1: You got Michigan this Saturday. They're top ten team in the country when it comes to men's tennis here in the ITA rankings. The women's, by the way, for Michigan is also ranked twenty fifth. But you got a tough stretch coming up. You got a lot of home matches coming up as well. After kind of a a, a, kind of a break in the between there, you had a match with Stetson recently, but you're winning four in a row. But you got Baylor coming up on Monday. They're ranked thirty second in the country. You got Penn State, Virginia, Minnesota, which is ranked thirty third. Just talk about the philosophy and how you built a schedule going into the season.
3: Yeah, one thing about our rankings is they—they're—it's they, they're, basically an RPI, and, and they switch over from voting to the computer rankings. Uh, they did that about a week or two ago, so this is the second computer ranking that we have. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to bash on our IT because I think they do a fantastic job with a lot of things. But but I'm not saying something that they don't already know that I, I don't believe we should be releasing these computer rankings right now because you take a team like Baylor and Michigan is is a very good team, so that means top ten is. You know, you could easily make an argument before the season that they were uh, they were a top 10 team, where we're Baylor's 32 and they're a top 10 team or top 15 team. So, um, you know, so we, we don't look, I mean, we're, we're, we are we're were, they do an unpublished one, and I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say or not, but I will, it's, uh, we were like 52 or 54 on it, and, you know, it, but it's just, it's something where we haven't even played our matches yet. You know, we've we, we played six matches, other teams have played 11, 12, 13. Our, we have 11 matches in March, and that's just the way we do our schedule, and And we do it that way to give our kids more opportunity to play, to play more professional tournaments. Um, And that's why we do it. So we'll always be on these first couple of computer rankings and lagging behind a little bit. Um, But that's okay because it's where you finish. I think our, our kids understand that our recruits understand that, but you know, the rankings always sort themselves out. I mean, the one thing I will say about it is the, the rankings formula they have by, by mid April, they're very, very accurate and they're very good. And there's, you know, I kind of like not having humans involved on that and um, you know, but we just, as coaches, we know better than to pay attention to what they are now. But, um, you know, going against Michigan is a, is a big opportunity because we know they're going to stay up there in those rankings. They're going to be, you know, in my mind, I think they're a top-10 team, without a doubt a top-20 team, uh, depending on how a few matches go for them. So, you know, it's a great opportunity. But it is, it's a little hard to, to tell where everyone stands right now because, you, you I mean, one year we were we finished, I think, going to the tournament number one in the country. And at the, the same week of these rankings, we were like 35 um you know so they're, it's, they're a little quirky but but it's matches like this weekend that start to start to straighten everything out
1: kind of reminds me of college football in the same problem they have these polls in august when nobody's played <laughs> you know they get right. a, a jump start so i mean i know it's different sports and the calculations are different but it's kind of silly you're right the rankings this early and nobody really knows because teams are just starting right. not even it, it, halfway in
3: yeah it's like the old bcs era when they start using <laughs> all the computer ones and the human yeah. ones would be way off you know teams would move four or five spots and it College football, it's a lot, you know. And in tennis, you'll you'll literally go from being ranked twelve on the human poll because they the team, they know who's on your team, they've been playing well. But it, it all depends on your strength of schedule in the first month of the season. You know, our, our strength of schedule is in March. You know, in early April, it's not in it's not in January and February. And and that's you know, our schedule is always going to have to be like that because of the way the way our schedule sets up with with other tournaments. So, um, you know, so it is a little crazy. But you know, I I, I keep voting for him to move it back at least two more weeks because I think every week it's later there's more results and the more results the, the more accurate it ends up being so um you know but it's a good opportunity for a lot of people if you you know if you're recruiting you need to you want to schedule a little tough early on you get a couple wins and you know right before signing day you can say you're you're 20 in the country you may not finish there but you know there, so there's a lot of there's a lot of angles you can kind of take with it but uh, I, i've just kind of taken the angle we're not going to worry about it and we'll recruit the best players we can and and see where it falls. you know, they, like I said, they they do a great job with the ranking at the end. It's just the beginning that a that a lot of people they just know to, that they're gonna. That it takes time to straighten out.
1: What drew you to get into college coaching?
3: Well, I, I was coaching my brother on tour uh, for 2006, two thousand six, seven, eight, full time. Um, worked with him a lot before that when he was home. Um, you know, when his, he was working with Brad Gilbert. Um, you know, when he was practicing in Texas, I would be the one that, that would kind of work with him a lot there. But um, the last, those three years, I, I traveled 35 weeks out of 52 on the road uh, and all over the world. I, you know, that, that is, is great. It's a great experience. And, um, you know, going to those tournaments and, you know, trying to game plan against Federer and Nadal and Murray coming up at Novak and just being a part of that era, uh, you know, was, was, unbelievable. But the, the travel is tough, you know, and, and, you know, and for me as a player, the, the time that I had the, the best time playing tennis was, was when I was a college player. So. Uh it was it was in the back of my mind I, I knew that at some point I'd always uh try to be, be a, a college head coach and go and, and that route because it's just a. you know, I think I said earlier the the format we have is the most fun and just being being a part of a team every year and, and being able to create the team, you know, and recruit and, and get kids that you want to have on the team is is, is a lot of fun. So I you know, we travel a lot as as college coaches, but um, you know, it's one thing I don't complain about is the travel because I know if I if I do the other, it, it can double in a hurry. So I think those are the the biggest factors. But I think the, the biggest factor is the, is the the format we play and just and just being a part of a team in a, a university community. You know, with athletics and you know being able to go to baseball games and know the coach and football and and get excited. There's just a lot more. You know, there's a lot more to it. And you know, your quality of life is is really good as a as a college coach.
1: I remember I interviewed you right when you arrived here at UCF. I asked you what was the biggest thing you would change about the sport of tennis. You brought up the Davis Cup and the format that it's a year-round, yeah. and it and it and I must have heard you because this week it just so <laughs> happens, coach, that John uh, the Davis Cup is now trying to change the format for 2019, where they're going to do it at the end of the year for one week. Eighteen countries, yeah. a round robin format yeah. followed by a knockout stage in the quarterfinals. Uh, first of all, I guess yep. you got you got a big power. You know they they heard you. I guess, but is this sad, is this uh, a, a step in the right <laughs> direction? Do you like this? I mean, it's. It, I mean, if you think about it, uh, it,
3: as big as the Grand Slams have come in, in, in sports, I mean, they're they're the prize money is through the roof. The TV ratings are high. The advertising dollars are are incredibly high. Um, and now you put this team event, which you know, in my mind. If you see NCAA tennis and you go to the finals, like, like if you go watch Georgia play at Georgia, you know, or now you can watch the USA or France win the Davis Cup in their respective country or try, I mean, you're gonna have the best atmosphere in sports. And I and I think honestly, it's gonna be an event that that starts to rival. You know, I, I don't know. You're never gonna supplant the World Cup, but it, it's gonna be in that conversation. Is is one of the biggest sporting events in the world. It's gonna be like Ryder Cup. You know, you, you take Ryder Cup and. And now you, you take tennis and it's, and it's literally the World Cup of Tennis But they're going to do it every year. And it's a week. It, you know, for the pro players, it eliminated for the guys who are in the finals of the Davis Cup, it eliminated three weeks off the calendar, which is, you know, people don't realize all the little things that go into it. it that's huge. So that's, that's another 21 days, you know, where either they can, you know, create a couple more tournaments or they can eliminate it from the calendar. Um, and that's, that's just that's unbelievable for these players because they're going to have it at the year end. It's a long year. But if there's one event, these guys are going to get up for it's, it's Davis Cup and playing for their country, especially when they know it's only a week commitment now. Instead of committing to Davis Cup, and if you keep winning, it's you know it's a minimum two week in the old system, and, and if you're in the finals, it's a four week commitment. So you know it's a month out of your year. So it's 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 a great step in the right direction. And it's you know tennis is hard to get everyone moving the, the same direction at the same time, and uh, I'm really excited that, that we're doing that because I think it'll elevate the whole sport in you know, five years we can revisit the conversation and see the impact that this has. and It's going to be, you know, it's going to be as big as, you know, when Billy Jean King started the, the WTA. You know, stuff like that. It's going to have that big of an impact.
1: Well, and uh, like I said, it's great. I'm excited to see that coming out. Uh, you mentioned you coached your brother Andy for a long time. He won a major U.S. Open in 2003. He didn't win more majors because he usually ran into a guy named Roger Federer, who was the best player in the world. And here we are. He's still the best player in the world. Rafael Nadal is yeah. still the second best player in the world. So not much has changed since you left the Pro Tour. How do you describe? Describe for the audience, may not be aware, what we're watching here with Roger and Rafael, yeah. what they're doing at their age.
3: You're watching. You're, you're watching in our in our sport. You're watching Michael Jordan, but there's there's two or three of them. I mean, you, you got to throw Novak into that conversation as well. And then you even you take a guy like Andy Murray. I mean, he's, he's he, especially if you remove those other three and, and my brother knocked him out of the late in a couple majors too. You I mean, you're talking about some of the greatest players of all time in our sport playing at the same time, and you know that's the the benchmark for being all time great. I mean, it used to be like three or four majors, and these guys are. Are going to twelve to what it was Roger at now eighteen or nineteen? I mean 20? Twenty. I mean that's I don't even know how I I didn't get that, but <laughs> I mean that's that's just that's absurd. I mean it's I mean it's crazy to, to get to that number in our sport when you when you have a you know a career of a, you're not going to play much past thirty five and, and I mean maybe they are I don't know I mean maybe they're just superhuman but um you're, you're watching you're watching the best of all time in our sport and you know it, it, it'll take I mean it's going to take a long time before. Before you see these kind of players again, I mean, I remember sitting there watching the level, um, you know, and just seeing and trying to game plan against what we have to do, and looking at it unforced errors versus winners, you know, and then how well they play the big points and tiebreakers won and going through all these all these stats and analytics, and it's just amazing to sit there and see these guys still doing that for for 15 years. I mean, at the highest level and and staying injury free, and, and and my brother had a you know by most accounts a fairly long career. He stopped when he was 30, he probably. I could have taken six months off and and kept playing but you know it, it's it, they take the life out of you when you when you think you have to play at that level and and you know for him not the, the hardest thing was was you know deciding whether or not he thought he could win another major and, and those guys just present such an obstacle and you know so it's it, but to sit here and watch it now where i'm not i don't really have a vested interest in it. i can just watch the tennis and i mean it's it's pretty incredible to watch
1: it really is uh, amazing to watch and it's uh, certainly uh, exciting. And I think also it I think your brother's career now is looked at differently. Now, I think more people appreciate your brother's career more now than they even did back when he was playing because of the roadblocks he had to go to. Don't you have you gotten the sense of that now that what you guys did, you know, now you get more appreciated than maybe you did as you were doing it?
3: Yeah, because I think you know when Andy was struggling with Roger, I mean, he had a pretty good record against Rafa and Novak. I mean I think he had a winning record for a while against Novak until later in his career. Um, you know, so it, when we play those guys, and, and when you, you know you're looking, at it and you knew if Andy played well, that that he could beat Murray, he could beat Novak, and he could beat Rafa, not on clay. Although he played great against him one time on clay Davis Cup. Um, you know, so so I knew as a coach, okay, if we go out and he goes out and executes, and, and we have a good game plan. And he sticks with it, then he has a very good shot to win the match. You know, it's you know, you're looking at better than fifty percent chance to to win a match against those guys. You know, Roger was just a different animal for for Andy. The the matchup was was tough for him, and um, you know he figured it out a little bit more later in his career and got got a few wins on him late in the career, which is you know looking back even even more incredible. But um, yeah, I mean you can't you know Andy I think lost I think it's something like eight times to Roger in the quarterfinals or later of the major. Every final of a major he lost was to Roger. So, you know, it, you, you can't look back now and the guy's won 20 majors. You know, we were comparing it when, when Roger had won like six or seven and thinking, okay, you got to beat this guy. Well, you know, nobody really beats this guy when he's healthy. You know, maybe Rafa on Clay is the only guy that's been able to beat Roger uh, consistently on a surface. And, you know, even when you look at how many times Roger's been in the finals of the French Open and his only losses to Rafa, you can almost make an argument that he's the, you know, second, third, or fourth best Clay quarter of all time um and that, that's just how dominant the guy is
1: no it's incredible he's uh, he's amazing to watch uh, last thing coach now as you get set uh, for the rest of the season you've got michigan obviously on saturday and then beyond that what's going to be the keys for your team to accomplish all the internal goals you have
3: well we we have to we have to play well in doubles i think if we can if we can get the doubles point and, and that's a little bit of a coin flip i mean that's, that's one of those parts of, of tennis where in college tennis it is the the i mean Georgia's a top Top ten team in the country right now, and they they won the the, the doubles point against Mercer uh, in a tiebreaker, and that's that's just how close doubles is because it's a pretty short format. So we know if we go and play well, we we've been in every doubles point we've had. We haven't been blown out one time in doubles, so we know we're, we we can stick our nose in there and give ourselves a chance to win the doubles point uh, if we do that, and then going into singles, if we if we deal with adversity well, you know we can't go out and expect to to not lose our serve or um, you know not have the guy. You know, some guys take steps. You know, if we deal, if we deal with things that happen that we don't want to see happen, but at the end of the day, as tennis players, you have to realize that you, you can't be perfect in this sport, and we just have to deal with the, the, the negative things that are going to happen in a match. And if we, if we deal with it well and and don't let that affect our level, then then I think we can we can win the match. But um, you know, and, and I'm sure Michigan thinks if they go out and, and execute well, they 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 will win the match. So you know, Michigan is definitely the favorite, but I also know if we. If we if we do the things that we need to do and execute fairly well and, and just don't let things bother us and don't get negative, then um, you know we, we definitely have a chance. I, mean, I know if we do that, we can play with anyone in the country. But um, you know, being being very young, that that's that's a big challenge for us sometimes.
1: That's John Roddick, Director of Tennis here at UCF Tennis, the men's head coach. UCF men and women's tennis will take on Michigan on Saturday, 12.30 p.m. It'll be televised on the Tennis Channel. It's part of College Match Day, but we encourage you to do what I will be doing, which is going out there to the USTA National Center up at Lake Nona and catch the action live in person. Should be a fun atmosphere. Coach, appreciate you the time from the busy schedule. Good luck and uh, hope to see you there on some running day on Saturday, if not uh, down the road. All righty. Thanks for having me. And thanks again to John Roddick, the director of tennis uh, for UCF, and the head coach talking, again, big match, UCF and Michigan, 1230 on Saturday. A match will be on the Tennis Channel, but certainly come out to the Lake Nona, as I mentioned. I'm going to try and head out there, college match day. But uh, awesome to have Coach Roddick on, who, as you heard there, Jeff, not shy to throw his opinions around when it comes (laughs) to the, the ranking system or kind of the state of the sport. And you know, I talked to him about the Davis Cup format change when we had him on a year ago. He said they needed to change the Davis Cup format, and here we are a year later, and they're changing the format. The guy, he, he's he knows brilliant. What he's talking and about, I'm going <laughs> I do, and I'm gonna, and, and I'm gonna say this again. And I know, for all the great hires that Danny White has done, all right? Scott Frost, right? Boom. Johnny Dawkins, Johnny boom. Dawkins, a, Coach a, boom. Abe,
0: Greg, Greg Lovelady. Lovelady yeah. boom.
1: Right? I mean, everything, nailed everything. To me, I, the most impressive thing that he has done, to me, in my opinion, is what he has done with UCF's tennis program. And I talked to Coach Roddick about it. This was, you know, no disrespect to anybody in the past, but this was not a considered a tennis program powerhouse, right? This was not a, a, a deal. But here we are, what he has done by bringing in John Roddick. Think about the, the, To me, it's the most impressive thing. John Roddick is one of the best coaches in the country. He came from Oklahoma. And he talked about, and we heard there in the interview, part of the reason why he came here. So John Roddick not only is obviously the head coach of the men's program, but he runs the women's. You know, He's the director of tennis, so he oversees the women's program. He's the one that made the hire of Brian Koneko. And here we are, Jeff, talking about UCF tennis in a major television broadcast against major programs in an incredible facilities with programs that we're talking about postseason aspirations. It blows my mind away mm-hmm. that this is where we're at. And to me, it's the most impressive thing that I've seen him done because I didn't think it was possible that this would even be uh, 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 imaginable, let alone yeah. reality.
0: Well, here we go. I think we're going to find out, like we said, we've talked about how their schedule sort of shapes up with um, you know the, the powerhouse teams that they are bringing down. And like I said, we, we said, it starts with this Michigan match coming up, and then these are all at home. Baylor. Penn State, Virginia, Minnesota, Indiana, Miami, Arkansas, Princeton, Oklahoma State, or they're at Oklahoma State, and then they're at Tulsa, and then they're at Memphis, and then back home for USF on April 15th to finish out the season. This is a murderers row schedule. But he wouldn't have scheduled the team like he wouldn't have scheduled like this if he didn't think his team would be able to make their way up the ITA rankings. Right now they are not ranked in the ITA. But I mentioned some of those teams. That well, I mentioned but, Well, Michigan, you heard it,
1: well, don't get started. Don't get him started on the rankings. You just heard him talk about the rankings. <laughs>
0: That's and what he, true.
1: So don't don't bring that up again.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. I'll leave that alone.
1: He made the comparison to the BCS and the formula, and you know. So and I agree with him. I mean, That's I fair. think it is still early. You know, he made good points. I don't disagree with it. Put it that yeah. way. Uh, by the way, I, um, a couple things. Thanks to Frank Shallow who is helping out on yes. uh, the communications. I uh, helping Ian out with uh, UCF Tennis. He helped uh, set up this interview with Coach Rice. So I want to give a shout-out to Frank. Known him for a long time, helping out with that interview. So, And then number two, and Frank brought it up, man. We're coming out. Are we coming out to see them? I, I think I'm going to go out Saturday, Jeffrey. I think you should Good. come out too. Bring out Connor. Bring out – You know, we all know you named them after Jimmy Connors. You can deny <laughs> it all you want, but you can come out here and catch a little tennis with Connor on Saturday. I mean, they've got a great slate. I'm going to try and head out there. Uh, to see the facilities for the first time, because I know
0: people have been bringing that up. This Saturday is going to be tough, but I got that that March 18th Sunday match with Miami kind of kind of circled. That might be interesting. I might I might want to come down and check that out a little bit later. Right. So I'll have to get in touch with Frank and see what see what we do. But um, but yeah, nonetheless, here we are with um, um, just you know, getting ready for this long stretch at home, and I think we're going to get our chance here in the month of March. March Madness, indeed, down at the USDA National Campus for UCF Men's Tennis. Again, catch them on the Tennis Channel, 12.30 p.m. Saturday against Michigan for College Match Day. Uh, UCF Men's Tennis, um, making some noise here for UCF. So thanks again to Coach Roddick for his time as well. All right. Real quick, I got a couple news stories that I wanted to hit. Uh, four UCF student-athletes were named were given the highest award that a UCF student can possibly receive from the university this week uh, the order of Pegasus um, the four student athletes who received the order of Pegasus this year Anthony Katati of men's basketball, Bailey Ranson from uh, women's track and field Taylor Wicke from volleyball and and Matt Wright from football um, they uh, it, it's it, it is a very prestigious award to receive and by the way, What's interesting is there have been only 10 UCF student-athletes who've received the Order of Pegasus Award in the entire history of the program. First one was Sarah Koreshi of track and field back in 2001. Eric Lopez, Shelley Frick is the only softball representative to have uh, mm-hmm. taken this award. But um, some other notable names, uh, TJ Harndon, Brendan Dobbins, Kayla Keough, um, Chelsea Lausanne, Kay Elise Green, uh, Arjun Watane, uh, Joey Scott from football won it, and or excuse me, Joey Grant from football, excuse me, and Hallie Scott from volleyball last year uh, won the Order of Pegasus. So, congratulations to uh, Anthony, Bailey, Taylor, and Matt um, on a job well done. Football, real quick. Um, they uh, announced a, a, a schedule announcement. By the way, the spring game is set for April 21st, 6 p.m., uh, but. Uh, UCF did announce uh, actually just before we started recording this that uh, they are adding two games with North Carolina on the future schedule. UCF plays at North Carolina this coming season and then the Tar Heels come here in 2020. So they added uh two more at Chapel Hill in 2024, scheduled for September 21st of 2024, and then September 20th of 2025, UNC comes back here. So um there was a little bit of a, a tease that went out on social media that people were like, "Oh, come on, man!" Oh, oh, everybody got really excited about, it, and then all of a sudden, everyone realized it was North Carolina, uh, like doubling up, and 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 people. Some of the reaction on social media to that, I thought, was a little bit heavy handed. It's like, you know, listen, I will take playing an ACC team anytime. All right, so anything about this uh, announcement that you found interesting? Uh, with UNC uh, doubling up with us here
1: Not really. <laughs> I, I actually uh, no, I mean, I was kind of like okay, whatever. I mean, I'll take fine. It, sure. I mean, cool. <laughs> I I think where the fans got upset is when you make you kind of teased it, hey, there's this big announcement at 3:30. I think they were expecting ev- something everyone different. everyone was
0: waiting for Bama. <laughs> everyone
1: was I don't know about Alabama. that I'm not going to go that far. I I hope not I hope they were not So I, I think if this was just randomly announced or if this would have been announced say during the weekend of the North Carolina game I don't even think people would like oh okay whatever you yeah. know it's cool I by mean I way, don't, you know I like
0: Chapel Hill so, yeah, those those two games by the way are the furthest out I'm looking at uh, fb those are the furthest out future opponents that that we see as of, yeah. as of right now so
1: yeah, it's fine. Look, Chapel Hill is a fun place. Uh, you hope that North Carolina football kind of turns around. They had a bad year last year, so. Uh, but yeah, right. it's fine. I mean, it's cool. It's
0: new. It's yeah, I, I, it's you know, right. call me up in twenty twenty four. So, uh, mark your counts. yeah
1: right. I mean, that's the other problem. I mean, it's so <laughs> it's hard to get fired up about a game in six years from now. You right. know,
0: like, whatever. Yeah, who any, knows what we're doing. we're not printing the T-shirts yet. Uh, softball. Eric Lopez is nine and six. Uh, yep. They are coming off of. Uh, uh, at the uh, the Green and Gold Classic in Jacksonville, the nice one two or excuse me three out of five um, the 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 uh, three wins were against Penn State for nothing. Uh, they run ruled Western Carolina and then they beat the home team Jacksonville five to three. Losses they, they actually split with Western Carolina. They played them two games. They lost the first game seven to three, uh, and then lost to number twenty three James Madison, which is a perennial softball power three to two. Uh, upcoming games for UCF—they head out to San Diego to play in uh, the San Diego Classic uh, Thursday at San Diego State, Friday against Long Beach and number three UCLA, and then they play Santa Clara on Saturday. So Coach Gillespie doing her West Coast road trip coming up. Um, uh, your thoughts, real quick, as you follow the team at the uh, tournament in Jacksonville, and then with the San Diego tournament coming up, um, they're nine and six right now. How are you feeling?
1: Uh, well, first, I mean, a couple of things. Yeah, you mentioned the Jacksonville tournament. The win against Jacksonville was the program's six hundredth. That's right. Uh, in program history, which I go in detail in depth on blackandgoldbanner.com. dot com. Twenty five hundred words
0: worth of depth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the beauty of the blog, man.
0: Well, job well done. Job well Thank done. You. Hey, look, Thank it's you. a lot
1: of I, – I, I wasn't expecting the breakdown. Like, I think I, I I didn't even realize. I counted like – what was it? 54 games I mentioned, and I try to keep it short, And but there's a lot of wins, and it tells you on the success that the program has had. Uh, Coach G had her 850th win of her career against Penn State on that Friday night. Mm-hmm. Um the big story, when and again, this is why you need to listen to Black and Go Banner. Because if you listen to last week's episode, I said that to Cameron Tony, the starting pitcher, was cleared to play. I didn't know when she would play, but I knew she was cleared. And boy, uh, big boost pitching a one-hit shutout in the victory against Western Carolina. So that's a big boost for them in that pitching staff. Yeah. They've been short-handed up until this point. That's a big arm that they needed. Look, they got a really tough weekend. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna be up late watching, uh, following these games. But they got San Diego State. Thursday night at San Diego state, San Diego state. I know their record's not great. They've had some injuries, but this was a team that really got robbed out of making the NCAAs last year. They should have been in the NCAAs. They were the number one offense in the NCAA last year, hit a, a, a tremendous batting average. Stacey Newman, four time Olympian as their assistant associate coach in that team. So that's a test. You look at their games on Friday, Long Beach state is very good. They just knocked off Auburn up at, Palm Springs last weekend. They're very good. If I'm
0: not mistaken, right?
1: They've been good. They've been good. They're going to be a real threat to Fullerton in the big West. And then of course we all know about UCLA, who's a national title contender like they are every year. They're loaded. So that's the two games they got Friday. And then they finish off with an early morning game against Santa Clara on Saturday. If they can, in my opinion, Jeff, uh, if they can go two and two, I would take it to the bank because this is a tough trip, tough teams. You're out West. West Coast umpires, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt on some calls. Let's just kind of kind of cut to the chase on that. So, big test for this young team uh, that's you know still a work in progress. And uh, after this, they've got a nice stretch where they don't have to get on a plane until uh, the Easter weekend when they go up to yeah. Houston, I believe. So, this is a big weekend. If you can go two and two in this tournament, I would consider that a success. Uh, so, hopefully, they could do that, and we'll see if they can. But this is a tough, tough stretch, especially that Friday with Long Beach and UCLA back-to-back. That is an incredible uh, time period, and we'll see how they adjust to that.
0: You're not doing Renee any favors by calling the umpires out before they even get on the plane.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I just know from experience. That's all okay. I'm just getting, so when people ask me about it later on, you know, the the unfortunate thing about the James Madison game, they had a threat in the seventh inning, two runners on, and they, the, I forget the hitter. The hitter for UCF hits a line drive. It hits the runner, and you know this is they hit the runner. It's an automatic out. Yeah, you're out. If that does, if that, if the, if that ball doesn't hit the runner, it gets through. It's a completely different inning. UCF maybe wins that game. And talking uh, to the people, that were there, so that was disappointing because that would have been a nice top twenty-five win to get against James Madison. But you know, they got some opportunities for some quality wins this weekend up there out west. But uh, yeah, that's that's. It's uh, that'll be interesting. Late night, baby. I'll be up uh, late night on Twitter. So follow me on Eric Lopezillo. I'll be tweeting late night. Is there uh, a Friday video feed to, for
0: that tournament? I see live stats, uh, but I, I don't bu- see any. Uh, I don't see any video. Link.
1: I believe that San Diego, the San Diego State game has video. I believe it's like the Mountain West Network Online or something like that. I believe. I don't know about the others, uh, but uh, I will tweet it out if I find it. I promise.
0: So All follow right, again, so- Eric Lopez. Uh, let's. It, it is a, it, It's hosted by uh, San Diego State and the University of San Diego. So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't see anything mentioning television, but um, no, I
1: think it's online. Anything that's video will probably be online. There will be no. And yeah. I think San Diego State game might have video because they the, they do they do some video for their home games.
0: It should so that's be. About it. I don't it, know if it, it should be noted by the way that UCF that the only non-California teams are the only non-West Coast teams in this tournament. Are uh, UCF, Boston University, uh, and the University of Minnesota. Um, yep. Well, I guess theoretically you could call Colorado State a non-Pacific Coast team, but they're still out west. But um, but other than, uh, yeah, t- stiff competition out there for this tournament. So we'll be watching that for you, and uh, and follow Eric Eric Lopezilo for uh, the latest breakdown uh, as UCF heads out west. Uh, for this big tournament, boy, i hope you're right. I hope they can come out with at least a split man if they if they find a way to knock off u c l a that would be something that would really it would that would, would be ecstatic baseball five and three right now uh they are coming off a uh, the, the uh, three game sweep of savannah state where they shut out uh savannah state in the first two games uh four nothing six nothing and then racked up 15 runs in uh, on Sunday uh and then at Bethune Cookman at Jackie Robinson Ballpark they knock off the uh, Wildcats 6 to 1 um, coming off of uh coming off of that game you're uh by the way JJ <clears throat> Montgomery got the start in that Bethune Cookman game um and looked really, really good for uh, for UCF. Five and two thirds, gave up just one hit, walked two, struck out six. Uh, and then Kree Frock actually came in uh, in relief. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I will say this. Uh, Thad, uh, by the way, Thad Ward also in middle relief, and then Bryce Tucker, but. J.J. Montgomery has been as advertised, and you can. And uh, you know, we don't we don't have Brian Murphy on this show, but make sure you follow him at spokes underscore Murphy. We'll have Brian on again, I'm pretty sure, very very soon to check us in more with UCF baseball. But th- this pitching staff, actually, if they can get him, uh, if they can get Montgomery, and you know, really work worked into the rotation, because you know he's he's another one of these transfers. Things could look really good for UCF baseball as they have a three game set coming up against Wagner at home. At John Giuliani Park, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which you can catch on UCF TV. But you know, after that rough that that three game losing streak to Rice, Sanford, and Stetson, they really needed that sweep of Savannah State and then the win at Bethune Cookman. So now they're five and three, and they've won four in a row. Eric, so again, it comes down. Yeah, to just pitching. like
1: everybody overreacted when they lost those three games. I'm not going to yeah.
0: overreact when they win these four games. This is just about like the Brian told
1: us, right? Just like Brian told
0: us, you yeah. know.
1: The game that I'm looking forward to, without with all due respect to Wagner, uh, Tuesday night, the defending national That's champ, right. Gators will be in town. I will be there. Uh, that'll be fun. I expect – you mentioned Montgomery. I, I think he's lined up to start that game, and that'll be fun to see it's how he does. Be, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what he's, Coach Lovelady setting it up. And uh, that'll be a fun atmosphere. It should be fun. That'll be a fun day. I got a doubleheader of softball that day. UCF's got Virginia Tech, another good team, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then Ball State. And then from there, I'm heading over to uh, baseball. That's a big day on that Tuesday. Big, big, big monster week of sports in, in we're town still next week. locked yeah.
0: into this Equinox thing, man. And the way basketball's looking, you know, they're, they're going to be playing uh, for, a, a, you know, a, a, we're going to have UCF basketball for another two weeks. Be it women's or men's or maybe even both. I mean, you know, right. it's it's uh, it's a busy time. This is the busiest time of year. When 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 I worked in the video department, I mean, we were pulling sixteen hour days, seven days a week at this point, just getting everything done. I mean, it was it was crazy. Godspeed, you guys over at the uh, over at UCF, because this is this is one hell of a stretch. <laughs> There you go. Yeah,
1: we may have to do multiple podcasts next week. We're probably going to do a
0: basketball special, and then
1: there are other stuff. That's how big next week will That's, be. So. I
0: know we may have We may have to do that. We may have to do an emergency podcast if something crazy mm-hmm. happens. You know, like, oh, all yeah. kinds of stuff. So, like Eric said, um, uh, the three game set against Wagner this weekend, and then Florida comes to town Tuesday, March the sixth, six thirty p.m. Then the Knights actually go on the road to Gainesville the next day, uh, Wednesday, six p.m. first pitch. Uh, up in Gainesville, uh, and uh, and we want to get that out there. Obviously, we could, obviously we'll probably record next Wednesday uh, at, just after the conclusion of that game. So, all right, Eric Lopez, uh, I think you mentioned a little bit about this, but other than you know the craziness that you've got going on, what do you have coming up this weekend that we're going to be keeping an eye on?
1: Yeah, I'm going to try and go out to the tennis match against Michigan on Saturday. Hopefully I can do that. And, obviously, I'll be at the Wichita State game uh, Thursday here tonight. The the And, you know, we'll go from there. So, who knows? I'll be following yeah. the softball. Probably getting ready for the men's basketball championships next week in Orlando. We might record that even earlier in the week just to get people ready for that uh, tournament to start from a lot of different angles. And then right. baseball, obviously. I mean,
0: softball, you, you know it. I'll be around there, And, uh, you know, I'll be following things as well. I don't know which games I'm going to get to right now because of – you know, this, because obviously we' you know I'm watching the baby a lot <laughs> but there you go um, but we've got you know I'm hoping that I can get to um, get to a little bit of basketball here in a little bit and uh, again, like we said, follow uh, not just ucfnights.com but also follow the conference uh, at the for all the latest with UCF uh, women's basketball as they make their way up to Connecticut uh, next week for the American Athletic Conference tournament and of course UCF men's basketball finishing up this weekend as well with those two games home, especially that game against Wichita State on Thursday. Number 11, Wichita State. So let's wrap this thing up. Don't forget, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest news and analysis of your UCF sports from across the sports spectrum. Uh, You can follow us at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Uh, You can also hit uh, us up individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and our boy... Brian Murphy, Spokes underscore Murphy. And, of course, don't forget Derek Warden, underscore DS Wharton, who continues to pump out some amazing photographs that we uh, tr- that we use, as, obviously with our articles as much as we can, but also uh, for you that you can see his galleries and the incredible work um, that he does as well. Don't forget to leave us a rating here on, uh, uh, on iTunes as well, Apple Podcasts, wherever fine podcasts are downloaded for free. Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. Search for us, Black and Gold Bannerette uh, Podcast for uh, for all your uh, for, on your feed. And make sure you tell your friends about us, too. Uh, so, as we wrap it up here, Eric Lopez, it's been grand. Have fun down at tennis, and uh, I'll see you soon this weekend, bud. See you. All right, and thank you for joining us. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week.